startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from startuprad.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, as well as the founder of the world's number one tech entrepreneurship radio called Startup.com radio you can now also follow us on tiktok and pinterest we just set up the accounts there and i would like to welcome for the first birthday of the european startup pulse thomas here back with me hey man how you doing hi joe and happy birthday to you as well <laughs> glad that we're doing this for one year already it's very exciting and we have a lot to discuss today Yes. Can you go a little bit into, because we've been crying like crazy in this year. Um, we've been starting out pretty good, but in June of 2023, there was a month when we had more than a hundred thousand viewers, downloads and listeners across all of our channels. Can you introduce yourself and the deep ecosystem, the company you co-founded? We are working with at Startup Radio a little bit to our audience to, just to give them a head start because there's a lot of new followers, new, new, new subscribers, new listeners out there. Absolutely. Yes. So deep ecosystems is an accelerator for ecosystems. So ecosystems are support structures for startups that help entrepreneurs to become more successful, to help you change the system in which you operate, not to turn maybe also from a purely profit-oriented, unicorn-oriented system towards a more sustainability-focused system. So we support ecosystem builders all around the world. And one thing that we do is we track the growth of ecosystems. And we do that with data. And here with Joe, since one year, we are reviewing our insights. We're sharing our insights with entrepreneurs around the world to understand how, in this case, the European um, Startup Pulse is uh, developing. And uh, so we share our reports, our data, discuss it here and see what can be the next big challenge for entrepreneurs in Europe. We may also hint that those reports are accessible to subscribers, but we're the only media outlet who have access to those very extensive reports. Just looking at the one we are sharing now called Startup Heatmap Europe 2023. We recorded this on August 9th, 2023. Your report just came out and it's more than 102 slides and usually i would say uh something around 80 to 90 are full of content and all of uh, of this content there goes a lot of research work in this like aggregated data like looking for data and then analyzing aggregating it analyzing it and then make it look pretty would you agree to that Yes, so that is definitely a lot of work. We have um, a partnership with the European Startup Initiative, which is a, a non-profit um, association which brings together practitioners and researchers that work on the data that we at Deep produce, that they find. And it's really a lot of work. Every year we're doing a survey um, with thousands of entrepreneurs across Europe um, to really have a robust sample that represents all of the different regions and all of the different types of entrepreneurs. This data then needs to be analyzed. Um, it needs to be 
enriched with other data sources, investment data, community activity, number of meetups, number of co-working spaces, salary levels, uh, you name it. We look at almost all of the things you can imagine. Um, so we look at more than 87 variables, I think, uh, to analyze more than 120 cities. Um, and the results, they give you then um, trends overall, what's happening in the overall European startup scene, which topics are coming up, um, which uh, trends do we see in mobility, etc. But also then on a regional level, like which cities are the ones that are winning the race for popularity for the founders? Where do the founders want to go? Um, how do they position? What are their strategies? What are their secrets? How do they um, manage to perform better than others? So you can see best practices for ecosystem building and also identify maybe the place you want to move to and find the startup community where you feel at home. We may add that this survey you're just talking about is proprietary data from you guys. Plus, in the past, we've spoken about, for example, that on your screen, you had places like Lisbon, who then popped up as a European wide startup hub years later. So there is a pretty good forecasting ability in this survey. Do you have like a rough number? How big the correlation is? How strong it is when the city is in the top five, top 10 of this survey on an annual basis? How long does it take to really get the stuff going there? Because we may add the logic, first the entrepreneurs move there, then they set up the company, then the investors come. And with more and more people, more and more employees, there is a certain pull to that. And that also leads at 1.2 critical mass and a European wide startup hub. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the mobility of founders is a key ingredient in the creation of the European ecosystem. There's two types of mobility. One is the founder actually moving, changing locations, setting up their headquarters in a different place. Maybe they move even before they started their company, but still they set up in a different country. So that's the mobility that we all know, someone moving countries. Um, but then, of course, there's also the expansion and the transnational setup of companies. So you can um, also observe that more than 60% of all of the startups in Europe have transnational setups. So they work from different locations. They have employees, investors, partners, and offices in other countries. And this transnational setup is a second, uh, let's say, type of mobility that we can observe. Um, and we, what we find is that European startups are hypermobile. They are really, really making use of that integrated market and try to plug into the resources available in various countries. And as you said, Lisbon has been a super popular hub. First of all, I think founders from UK discovered it. Um, then maybe the Dach region, the German, um, Austrian, Swiss region, they, they discovered it. Maybe now it gets more popular also in the Nordics, where you see founders moving to Lisbon, moving to Porto um, or Braga, which is a little bit of a secret uh, tip. Um, and they are setting up their headquarters or expanding to open up branches, sometimes hiring local talent that comes from South America 
um, to to Portugal and um, and works there. Portugal is super international, super attractive, not only for founders but also for talent. So um, this expansion makes a lot of sense. And yeah, since seven years we're running that survey, and already in the very first survey, I think Lisbon was in the uh, top ten. Um, which was surprising because there was nothing like a startup scene. And still Lisbon has not, like in terms of investment, doesn't have like a large startup scene. Um, but that's not the only metric. You need to look at different things. And therefore, when you ask for a correlation, well, I could not say that when you're popular, there is definitely also an increase in venture capital coming later. That might not be the case because venture capital follows its own rules. But you still have like a positive spillover effect into society. You have more innovation. You have more jobs. You have more opportunities and more diverse um, uh, society. So you have benefits uh, that come with that increase in popularity. Also downsides, obviously. But I would say um, that uh, that it's definitely showing movement. Mm -hmm. Talking about this year, we have the most popular startup hubs 2023. London just shifted, changed places with Berlin. We are we already seeing an impact of Brexit on London as a startup hub, or don't we? Yes, that is the question that has been asked now every year. And last year when London dropped down and Berlin was the most popular, uh, people were like uh, already like those that are in, not in favor of Brexit were excited saying, wow, now London is, uh, is finally losing. Um, I would be a bit uh, careful uh, on this. So here what we do is we ask founders all over Europe a simple question. Where would you start your company, if you could choose freely in Europe. You can give three options. Uh, the first priority is you put on top and then you have two further priorities. And we see that London and Berlin, they reach around 34% of founders. So 34% of founders say London or Berlin. And that has been declining over time. Seven years ago, this share that said London or Berlin was much larger. It was more than half of all the founders um, saying they would go to these places. Now you see that actually the majority is not even having them uh, on their list, right? So London and Berlin for the majority is not a place they would go to, um, but still it's the largest share among uh, cities. Um, they received the largest share of founders, 34%. It's far ahead still of Barcelona and Amsterdam, as well as Paris, who are somewhat in the area, somewhat in the same percentage. No? So 17% for Barcelona and Amsterdam. And Paris and Lisbon have 12. Munich has 10. Uh, Tallinn, 9. So you see only Barcelona and Amsterdam are somewhat in the area. No? So half of the percentage. Mm -hmm. But talk, talking about the top cities, um, Barcelona held steady at spot number three. Amsterdam is spot number four. Paris gained two places to spot number five. Lisbon dropping two places to spot number six. Munich gaining one to spot number seven. Tallinn also dropping two places to spot number eight. Stockholm stood steady at number nine. And then we do have Zurich in 
Aust in Switzerland, uh, plus one getting into the top 10 here. Yes. Yes. So it, in, to be honest, the top 10 is very stable over time. Um, we don't see like um, large changes. So we see that sometimes a place, uh, so Zurich is getting into the top 10, um, sometimes it's falling out, but it's it, it's been there. Um, so over time, the, the top 10 is relatively stable uh, since seven years. Um, that shows on the one side that the methodology is working, right? So we, we kind of measure mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the right thing. We, we measure something that is there, um, the attractiveness. Um, but on the other side, we also see how difficult it is to attract international founders and to become um, a hub uh, if you don't make a big change, let's say, in, in your ecosystem. It will be very difficult to overtake um, the, the um, leading players now. And uh, uh, outlets like StartupRate.io also play a role, not necessarily always us, but media outlets like us who inform other entrepreneurs about places that they would not have thought of because I'm seeing here spots 11 to number 20 Dublin gaining two places really strong Copenhagen in Denmark gaining seven places Warsaw in Poland two places uh, Helsinki in Finland gaining five places the biggest jump was most likely Malaga, who's completely new at number 19. And the second biggest was Sofia, plus nine places. This is pretty awesome. And sorry, I misspoke uh, before in Zurich because I had in mind Vienna, who still made it to spot number 20, but dropping five places there. Yes, very interesting. I mean, Spain, uh, Malaga is a very interesting case. Spain is performing surprisingly well, I would say. No? So you have like um, uh, three Spanish cities in the top 20. That's quite strong. No? We see otherwise a lot of mm -hmm. capital cities that benefit from the knowledge about the cities, that benefit from the infrastructure they have, the um, accessibility by plane and trains and so on. So people know capitals rather than uh, smaller towns like Malaga. Um, so that's definitely um, a special award, I would say, for um, for non-capitals to get into the top 20. Um, and on the other side, of course, we need to take into account that um, uh, that basically being in the top 20 is not the only way to attract international founders, right? So you still mm -hmm. have your cloud, you still have your reach where you can access um, particularly um, connected founders that maybe come from uh, countries where you traditionally have a connection with. For example, in Spain, uh, in Madrid, we see a big uh, influx of South American um, founders. We did a small publication on the Latin diaspora in, in, in Europe. And we see that there is a strong influx into these places that are traditionally connected, where there's also some legal benefits for the mobility, etc. Um, so definitely being in the top 20 doesn't mean that you're not attracting um, actual movers. But of course, it shows in, in general, if you want to be really a top hub on the map and you want to outgrow like your your standard size, you need to you need to do a lot um, because uh, building a brand as a startup hub is 
increasingly difficult, increasingly competitive. When you talked about a special award to all those places that gained, um, due to all those cities that gained spots, I would say they're the rising stars, definitely led by Malaga, because as you said, they're not a capital. Um, we also have Sofia, which is the capital of, how is it properly pronounced? Bulgaria? Bulgaria in English, right? Yes. Um, and we do have Helsinki, which is the capital of Finland. So we do have capitals and Copenhagen, of course, which is the capital of Denmark. So we have three capitals plus Malaga gaining ground here as rising stars. Absolutely. Yes. So that is a good observation. You now open this nice slide, which has the timeline. Um, I like to watch that. You see uh, over time till 2016, which hubs are moving uh, up and down in the top 20. Tel Aviv is an interesting mm -hmm. case. Um, you have to keep in mind, we ask European founders whether they want to move to Tel Aviv. Surprisingly, Tel mm -hmm. Aviv is not uh, in the top 10 because the willingness to move there is low. Um, but still, it's uh, moving up and down a bit in the top 20. At the moment, not in there, but uh, yes. So, so it's an interesting observation over time what's happening there. Yes, and for everybody who's just listening to this either on a podcast on our internet radio station or on one of our partner internet radio station, you can find all the links and the show notes on our blog, medium.com forward slash startup rate minus IO. This is our publication on Medium or just look for startuprate.io on medium.com and there you should be able to find the blog post going along with this publication and there you of course find the link to 102 slides full of data and even in this case uh, we're just talking about slide number 10 here animated content where actually the cities are moving up and down here which which i really like because i like to look at stuff uh uh, uh what, what does did one of my bosses say uh men are always working primarily with their eyes so that's the way we do it. <laughs> um, getting a little bit more into the more serious pieces. You also wrote that 71% of founders are optimistic. I was, I was wondering about the future outlook. I was wondering if it's because they're basically very positive people, they are entrepreneurs, or do we have seen the worst of Corona downturn, energy crisis, um, Ukraine war, and so on and so forth. Very good question. Uh, here you have the uh, timeline of the um, of the question: how optimistic they are about the development of their own ecosystem. So the question behind that is: how do you see the future development of your own ecosystem? Um, is it going to improve or is it going to to get worse? And the percentage shows us uh, those founders that are extremely or very optimistic. Now, and here you get the answer to your first part of the question. They are, in general, rather optimistic people. Now, because the, uh, the amount is pretty high and steadily high over time, where founders say we are very or extremely optimistic, right? So... Um, in, in general, that's a that's a trait of entrepreneurs to be optimistic. What what else can they do? 
you, you clustered all the data in, in different geographical areas. And what I find interesting here, the most optimistic are the entrepreneurs in Western Europe, followed by Nordics and Baltics, and least optimistic are the entrepreneurs in the Mediterranean. Overall, I think we're right now at 71.33% of European founders are optimistic. Yes, and you can see the difference. No? So 79% of Western Europeans are very or extremely optimistic versus 62, 63% in the Mediterranean um, uh, area uh, and in CE 65. Um, so there is a huge difference, right? So the, the 71 is, is an average, um, but in some places people are very, very optimistic. No? That's namely Nordics and Baltics, as mm. well as Western Europe. Um, the UK and Ireland, there you, I think you see the most Brexit effect. Um, you see like a huge up and down <laughs> over the years. Uh, and it's now pretty much at the average. Um, in 21, everyone was a bit more optimistic. No, we had the, um, we had since 2020 the highest uh, numbers. Um, but this year, I think, with the except for Benelux, Bel Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, they they've been down here at the lowest place in 2021, and now they're uh, a little a little bit below average. So um, it's not constant, but I would say overall, the entrepreneurs are much more optimistic people than the average European citizen. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, yes, for sure, yes. And uh, but on the high level, you see then the nuances and you see the effects. No? So if you if you see the break in of the optimism in 2020, Corona was something that uh, that definitely got the the entrepreneurs to worry, um, and then they got very optimistic when things turned out differently in 21. And now I think the Russian invasion in, in Ukraine, inflation and insecurities they have lowered expectations quite a bit. What I also found interesting, 66%, so two-thirds of founders prefer Europe over the United States. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? And I do believe that is something we have seen during the last year already, that European founders prefer to stay in Europe. Yes. So um, mobility is also something that's costly. No? So if you move to another place, you lose access to your existing network. So I would um, say the better, let's say, your your local network gets, the, le uh, the uh, lesser <laughs> is your willingness to go far away. So moving to the US is attractive if you feel like your home ecosystem is really not good at all and you have nothing um, to, to lose, right? So that's definitely one of the, the um, uh, drivers um, or was one of the drivers. When there was no ecosystem in Central Eastern Europe, there was a huge preference towards the US. Over time, that declined. Um, and now you see founders saying opportunities at home. And when they move too far away, they feel they would lose those. So it's better to make a move closer to home, maybe just move to Berlin, expand your business between 
Central Eastern Europe and, uh, and, and Germany or UK and keep close um, uh, contacts to, to your existing network. So I think overall mm -hmm. the improvement of the ecosystem in Europe leads to a, um, uh, to a higher preference of staying here as well. And yeah, it's also quite different. Uh, so Western Europe is again um, the highest um, with the, the biggest um, percentage saying they would prefer Europe. Um, and uh, other places like CEE, there's just 44% um, that would stay in Europe. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about expanding in Europe, almost 80%, 79 of founders opt for Europe, especially Germany, France, Switzerland, and Austria, which makes us very happy because we cover most of that region. Um, we, we're right now only at slide number 12, so everybody can see and hear that there's a lot of data there are a few more data points we want to go over uh we want to highlight but nonetheless as i said in our blog post there is the link to the report and you can dive in yourself into the more than 100 slides there um the complete top 50 list is 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 not so charming it's it's basically an excel sheet but would have been taken from there that in the top 50 hubs for germany austria and switzerland dach or gsa region there is frankfurt on 27 29 there's hamburg 35 there's the city of essen in the rhein-ruhr conglomerate 36, there is the city of Leipzig in Eastern Germany. And 46, there's the city of Stuttgart, uh, popular being the home of Porsche and Mercedes. Um, we're now talking a little bit about the trends in European ecosystem. There are three hypotheses you try to prove or disprove here in this report. Can you elaborate a little bit as a kind of a a wrap up of these three hypotheses here in our podcast? Yes. So every year when we do the report, we try to ask the questions that are most relevant um, at the time of writing. So the hypothesis, the first hypothesis is, are startups overtaking the economy? Um, so after the record years of investments during uh, COVID, um, the question was, are we seeing now um, like a relevant contribution of the startup economy to the traditional normal overall economy? And is it really like um, the most important sector that we should look at? Is it the future of our economies in Europe? Or is it um, just like a, a storm in the water glass? Is it just for those that are inside the startup bubble? Um, what are really the comparisons? So we looked at what is the percentage of GDP that we see in terms of VC investments, um, on a local level. So, for example, in London, we see a very high share of GDP of the uh, the city level, the metropolitan level, uh, being invested in uh, in startups is really impressive. Um, we see that in different places around Europe where we see a higher share between 1% and 3% of GDP going into the startup sector. So that's pretty impressive. But overall, um, the let's say the, the contribution is not so large. Um, so in many places, the startup sector is not a relevant, um, let's say, um, uh, contributor to the, to the regional economy. So there's definitely a mixed result. Um, if you're a super hub, if you're like a super, super well-developed um, uh, um, ecosystem, then you manage to get to that level very 
influence, let's say, the availability of jobs where you influence the direction of the economy um, to an extent that, that, let's say, also the overall population needs to take it seriously. I would personally say that this has already been proven in the past. There was, of course, a very special situation in 2021, but you guys may remember the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine for Corona, COVID-19. Um, BioNTech in this year alone, 2021, was responsible for lifting the GDP of all of Germany, one of the largest um, GDPs in the world, by 0.5%. So I think. If that doesn't prove an impact, I don't know what would. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's a very nice observation. Now, of course, the question is like, um, uh, how common is that, right? So how is the startup scene uh, overall contributing here? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, these, are, these are good talking points, not to, to go into detail. The other point, especially BioNTech is maybe a good one. Um, so because they come from a city called Mainz in, in Germany, which is uh, traditionally the home of one of the national TV stations, but otherwise is not one of the richest regions. Um, and now... Uh, it's very important. It was the city I was born in. <laughs> <laughs> very good job. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so, so I didn't know that. <laughs> so you, you still have some good ties there. It's not far from Frankfurt, is it? Uh, it depends on the traffic, but if there's no traffic, it's something like 25 to 30 minutes. If you are hitting rush hour, it can take an hour. Ah, you see, you see. So uh, maybe Mainz is now helping the Frankfurt startup scene also to, to improve. That's a bit of a mean side uh, <laughs> kick. <laughs> so, but Mainz, I would call it maybe one of the regions that economically is a bit of a laggard uh, area. Um, mm -hmm. And That was our second hypothesis, are startups saving the laggard regions? Um, and for example, you see, if you deal with the European Union, you see that innovation scoreboard um, that they publish um, every year. And you see like um, the huge differences in innovation capabilities across Europe and especially Central Eastern Europe and uh, Southern Europe having difficulties to uh, keep up with the innovation capabilities in the Uh, in the north and west. Um, and yeah, basically the question we asked was, is that startup boom that we're seeing now, is that reaching the province, if you will? Is that reaching the places that struggle economically? And is it a way to, to leapfrog um, the development and basically put yourself um, on top? And there is some examples that um, uh, where you could say this is happening. I mean, most Notable probably Estonia and Tallinn, which come from a post-Soviet mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of structure, weak economy, um, low GDP in all of the traditional rankings, definitely some um, of the lower ranks um, in economic output and power. Uh, and now in the startup sector, per capita, one of the best, one of the leaders. Um, so you, you see examples that it is possible um, there's also um, signs of this in Greece. Well, if you remember um, economic crisis hit Greece very hard. Uh, a lot of um, structural funds going into uh, Greece. And there is signs that there is an uptake in innovation and the startup sector in Greece um, following specifically also these kind of structural um, investments. 
The same could be said for, for Portugal. You see that we talked about it before. Um, also one of the places hit hard by the uh, economic crisis um, and then um, now improving a lot. Maybe not so much in the venture capital availability. There's Greece and Estonia are performing better here, but you see definitely activities, for example, co-working spaces, attraction of talent. Um, so the investments of startups into these regions lead to, to an improvement of the economic situation. So the hypothesis is uh, to be answered again in a mixed way, but we find some signs that the startup sector can have a positive effect on the development of the region. Um, and that's already um, observable. What would come to mind for me is the city of Mainz. They gave an interview to us um, back in the days for the very simple reason. They are a city that had to deal with a hundred million euros annual budget. And of course, they, they don't give details to individual taxpayers, even if they're big companies. But nonetheless, they have um, they have received more than 1 billion euros in tax revenues only in the two years corona vaccine was booming so i do believe uh there there's a there is a culprit in there hidden somewhere that you could attribute this massive inflow of taxes and what they're trying to do is do a biotech audience audience is a city in denmark we talked about in one of our last uh, interviews if you don't know it i don't know what's wrong with you go down here in the show notes and have a look um that is a conversation between thomas and me where there's a little town in denmark becoming a major global hub in robotics so what mines is trying to do right now is building up itself as a biotech hub they have different initiatives for that and it's very interesting it will be very interesting to see if they can achieve it or not yes very interesting case uh, we discussed it as a case study um, about how do you build an ecosystem uh, and uh, i think that's that's really at the core of this what can we learn from the data to build our own ecosystems uh, we, we do that in our ecosystem accelerator as well so we run as deep ecosystems we run an accelerator to grow your own ecosystem hub in your home region, instead of moving away to London or Paris, you can build your own ecosystem hub and uh, Deep Ecosystems is helping you do that. Um, one way is to work with data and have an advantage over your competitors by knowing where the world is going. Um, yes, and where the challenges are. Hypothesis three, are ecosystems open to transform the economy? So the the Starting point of that question was simply when looking at the success of, of startups, we see a lot of, you know, not so impactful um, companies. Um, let's say they are doing delivery and e-commerce, maybe fintech, pay first, uh, uh, buy first, uh, buy, uh, pay later, sorry. Buy now, um, pay later. <laughs> genau. <laughs> um, <so laughs> genau. <laughs> that was German. <laughs> So you see a lot of startups that do things like consumer products, um, user experience, e-commerce. The question really is like, are those hopes that the startup sector is transforming our economy to the better, solving climate change and other problems, are these like are these hopes too big? Is that really a possibility? Is the startup sector working in, in this direction or not? 
So, so that was our, um, our question at the core of this third hypothesis. And so we wanted to analyze questions like uh, whether there is actually new ideas that get investment um, or is it basically just the survival of the e-commerce giants that uh, started in, in Corona and now needed to scale up or needed to be um, bailed out or uh, similar. Uh, so that was one of the, the questions. Do we see an increase in the um, early stage investment? Um, also, which sectors receive investments? Do we see um, an openness to uh, climate tech, sustainability, um, CO2 storage, or is it only e-mobility when we talk about impact investments? Is it only going to um, uh, to e-mobility? And unfortunately, the question, the answer is yes, a lot uh, is going to that. Um, we also asked, is, is Europe open to failure? No? So which um, regions have which openness to failure? Um, is it okay to try out something new? Um, is it okay to fail? And that is quite different from region to region in, uh, in Europe. So you see that not everywhere you have a high acceptance um, of failure. Uh, so founders still say they cannot talk openly about failure. Um, actually, only in Western Europe and the UK, you have more than 50% uh, of the founders saying they can talk openly about uh, failure. So that's, uh, that's still a bit low, right? So if we say that that's mm -hmm. basically the mantra we've been repeating since 20 years, um, that failure is okay and acceptable, um, still, it seems not the case in Europe. Oh, yeah, we, we've been talking about in the past how you as a startup hub could establish yourself. Um, we've talked in the past about accelerator programs, but also now co-working spaces are a good strategy, even though today um, at this very day, I read on Bloomberg that WeWork is not sure if they will stay in business. So how do you solve this problem? Apparently there's demand for co-working spaces. Co-working spaces are also good, but at least some of the business models don't seem to work. Yes, co-working spaces have a very tricky business model. Um, there's a large share of um, co-working spaces that are not profitable. Um, often they are um, driven by um, other motives. No? So people have co-working spaces because they believe in the ecosystem they are building. Um, impact hubs are probably the um, prime example for that. An impact hub might be a co-working space, uh, has a co-working space, but uh, most of the time their prime revenue is not from the from the renting of the desks, um, but they work around the ecosystem. Um, and you have that in smaller scale and local level where people just want to create a space um, and they are mm -hmm. dependent on subsidies, dependent on, um, on projects uh, to survive. And uh, these people are very um, uh, heroic, I would say, Uh, individuals that are really doing something for the community, give the community a place to, to grow um, without becoming, let's say, rich themselves. So without co-working spaces, probably we would not have that startup scene that we have, um, but it's not necessarily a, a strategy to get rich. Mm -hmm. um, talking about the startup ecosystem we want to have, you also um have some very interesting data on female founders um especially 
the cities um we have data we have calculated the shares of female founders um i've seen the top three small cities still far away from parity sheffield 21 percent geneva 20 percent and luxembourg 19 percent in the larger cities it's a little bit better but also far away from parity that's what you said more than 1 million people kiev 25 percent vienna 22 percent brussels 20 percent amsterdam 19 stockholm 17 milan 17 rome 17 and zagreb only 16 percent um are there measures the hops the governments um other entities could take to increase this year mm -hmm. well um we are trying huh? so there's a lot of attempts to increase the share unfortunately last year the share decreased um, so we saw um, over the last years a stable development and now overall in Europe we have um, less female founders, only 13%, 13.2% uh, 13 before it was, I think, 15%, 16 um, I think that still there is like a lot of factors that would lead, for example, to um, women to react more to insecurity um, of the eco uh, economy. So now I would see that the economy with the higher inflation and the um, situation with Ukraine um, has taken a hit. And I, I would see that also there is less female entrepreneurs now, even though there is more support. Um, so I think that's, that's still a big challenge. Um, and uh, overall, the, um, the data shows us that Women entrepreneurs have not the same opportunities, even if they start at the same uh, starting line as their male counterparts. If we take CEOs, um, female CEOs that participate in accelerators alongside male CEOs, um, the, they raise 38% less funding um, after the end of the accelerator. So even if they are selected by the same jury, they selected at the same stage, they join the same support program, enter the same community and network, um, they raise almost 40% less funding afterwards. Um, and uh, that, that, I, that would speak very clearly to a situation where you have um, uh, discrimination structurally embedded mm -hmm. in the ecosystem. You can do things about this. I, I think there is um, uh, a broad literature around um, what can be effective. We know that, for example, um, uh, female-only um, acceleration programs can help uh, quite a bit. Um, we see also that the um, equal participation in accelerators is something that increases. Um, we see that there are certain um, activities towards the VC side to increase the number of investors on the VC side, on the selection side. Um, these are all elements that, that can work. On the public side, we've seen top-up um, funding for grants if there is female entrepreneurs uh, running the proposal. So nudging maybe some teams where it's not clear who is the CEO, nudging them towards asking the, the female <laughs> co-founders to be um, among the leadership team and to take the step. So. This, these are all measures that can can help. Um, probably they help more on an incremental um, size. So the effects are probably incremental. 
if you do these kind of hands-on support where you make changes in the incentives. Um, I think the structural changes um, are needed that would um, lead to a higher proportion of women going into entrepreneurship. You see, by, by the way, in other regions in the world, you see much higher rates. Now, we work also with non-European ecosystems, and there you see higher percentages of women going into entrepreneurship. So it's really a Western and European problem as well. Uh, and we might need to ask ourselves, what's our historic and uh, cultural uh, issue we've created there? Mm -hmm. I have to say, I'm very, very sorry. I was reading uh, in the small cities, number two, Genf with an F at the end, but apparently I'm not wearing my glasses and it's Gent. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the Netherlands in, instead of Geneva in Switzerland. I'm, I'm very, very sorry to the beautiful cities. <laughs> I just confused you guys. So in the small cities, uh, the top uh, three cities with the most female entrepreneurs are Sheffield, Ghent and Luxembourg, for, followed by Malaga, Oslo, Malmö, Vilnius and Tallinn. I hope I don't have any region mistakes in there right now. <laughs> Yes. Interesting, by the way, that the small cities are not necessarily better in terms of uh, percentages. No? So you would have, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you have the expectation this is a, this is a metric where a small city could outperform the large ones, especially on a percentage basis. But, um, then you see that Vienna um, for many years is one of the leading hubs. I think they benefit a lot from the uh, influx of Central Eastern European founders. Uh, women founders that study uh, in uh, in Vienna and start their company there um, or that move to Vienna to start their company there coming from CE. That's definitely something. Um, Belgium is interesting. Kiev, well, uh, there might be special effects there. It has always been a, a CE mm -hmm. is very strong in female entrepreneurship. But of course, now there's a special situation that might have reduced the male uh, amount of founders um, uh, in this context. And um, so, yeah, the war might have an effect uh, on on this as well. Thomas, we're now talking for more than 45 minutes. I'm very sorry this has gotten to be a little bit longer uh, episode. And we're only on slide 45 of more than 100. I would therefore say we leave it at that point. Um, and continue with our next regular update scheduled in a quarter. What I also would would hint everybody who's listening to this, look at the mobilities of founders within Europe. Slide 53, 31% of European founders are foreign born. 61% of accelerator participants relocated to a different city for an accelerator. And 74% of startups have a presence in more than one country. I would leave it with that. Everybody, as always, uh, please make sure to like and subscribe and share uh, to our podcast and go to our Medium blog where you will find a link down here in the show notes where you can find the whole presentation. Promise. Great. Thomas, it was, as always, a pleasure talking to you. I assume I'll have you back. Let me look at my calendar, maybe in October uh, or early November, and then we'll talk about the next hot topic here um, in European startups. Great. It was a pleasure, as, as always. I'm looking forward to the next time. Me too. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
拜拜。That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.